0: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of In Conversation With. This is your host, Gavin Kelly. I'm back with Colin McDonald. How are we? How's the water for Colin?
1: Uh It's grand, yeah, nice and sunny after the weekend's fucking shit show of thunder and lightning that we received. Um, but apparently the rain is coming back tomorrow, so it doesn't really right. matter.
0: Yeah, We are experiencing uh, the thunder and the rain and the lightning, I'd say, soon enough here in Calvin. But besides that, yeah. we are joined today by... Uh, News Talk broadcaster and journalist, Shane Beatty. How are you
2: doing, Shane? I'm good. I'm looking out the glorious sunshine here, so I don't know. I'm going to stay where I am rather than where you are, I think. Ah, great. I saw some of the thunderstorms brutal over the weekend, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was... I Like, I mean, we were out... Uh, myself and my girlfriend, we were out with some of her friends um, having a few alcoholic beverages, let's say, uh, in a nice part of Tremor down in County Waterford. And... Uh, the thunder and lightning started, and it was lovely to watch uh, at the start. And then we were like, "Hang on, we're going to get caught in a, <laughs> like a hailstorm here." And so we started walking back. And I'd say we were in the door maybe two seconds before the heavens opened up. So we got lucky in that yeah. way. Yeah, but it, yeah. it decided
2: to calm down ever so slightly now. Yeah, um, no, I saw some videos on Twitter are crazy from people as well. So yeah, there was dogs going crazy and all that stuff as always.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, no, I've sunshine here, so I'm going to stay where I am. I think. Mm.
1: Um and yet you're you're enjoying a few uh I suppose what are rare days off at the moment, uh, Shane. So uh what what are you gonna do with your
2: time now that uh you have a little bit to yourself? Well, I picked the worst week uh, possible to take off because obviously <laughs> the government formation stuff today and this happened yeah. forward. There was a load of big announcements on a Friday that I was off. So I have a habit of picking the worst days off. I'm gonna enjoy the sunshine and just try and switch off from the news as much as possible. It's hard though because it's not as if you're away on holidays or you're abroad so it's just that anytime you check your phone you're seeing stuff about obviously the news and all that's going on you go on social media it's all to do with COVID and the government and all that stuff so I'm trying to switch off but it's not easy
0: are you living in Kildare or Dublin there at the moment
2: Shane? I, li- I live in Kildare yes yeah, so work in Dublin so I mean it's fine At the moment, because obviously we've had lockdown in the country, so the traffic has been grand. It's funny; we were only some of the journalists were saying we're kind of we were getting used to having the city to ourselves. For literally, there was no Mm. Dublin city centre at all. Parking was no problem, but it's funny you can see the traffic really changing now that it's gone a lot busier, which makes it difficult for Kildare because just up the famous N7 there can be a nightmare, and then onto the Red House. So yeah, we're kind of getting used to having the the city centre just to ourselves. There's very few around. Mm. I remember.
1: we when we had Keith Walsh uh, to offend DJ on uh, way back when he was he was still doing the um, the early morning breakfast show at the time uh, with Jennifer and Vlaty, and he said that, that the only good thing that came out of having to get up for work at half four in the morning and leave at five is the fact that he's basically missing all the traffic as he heads in from Newbridge into, into the yeah. city centre. Yeah,
2: it's a big, go- yeah, no, it is, it's a big thing. And it's kind of a thing that, like, if you're family, you're kind of obsessed with it when you're going up on the roads, because it is just, I mean, literally, if you to be in work for, like, nine or at a, a press briefing or something at nine, you'd want to be hitting the road at sort of quarter past 20 past seven, which is stupid, because on a Saturday, it takes, like, 25 minutes, half an hour. So, yeah, it's a big thing for Cader people. are obsessed with traffic and weather, I think, the the two things but like the traffic is pretty much back to normal now so it's just crazy how quickly things get back to normal with the roads even
1: yeah um so we'll we'll get on to kind of the current state of affairs in the country kind of later in the episode but i want to for the very start at least anyways i want to kind of bring you back to your early days so the the career in journalism was that always
2: a main focal point for you as you were as you were going through school and stuff um, I think television more so than than journalism is always interested in uh, television and working in television. So that was always the thing. I mean, I even found recently, um, this woman on Twitter who I'd written a letter to RT. I'd say when it was about nine or ten, just looking for advice on how you get into RT. And this producer, in fairness to her, like they're busy, and she spent three pages typed out, uh, not an email, it was a posted out letter, um, just explaining all about you know what it takes to get into television. And be a TV presenter and stuff. And I, uh, I only found her recently. I sent her a message on Twitter to thank her. So I was always doing that. I remember one day when I was a child as well. Laura Woods who now presents on uh, Ireland AM. But she used to do um, the show before. What was it called? Two Tube. It was before Home and Away used to be on. Yeah. on
0: that
2: stuff. But she that stuff. Literally I wrote in a random letter to her to young people's, And then one evening she rang me. And was telling me all about how you get into it. Um, so it's nice. You're actually seeing these people now. Who you kind of were chatting to. Uh, or getting letters from years ago or phone calls from years ago. So yeah, TV was always the interest. Journalism kind of came later. Did a lot of work experience type things like for transition year. I got in with a, a TV production company in Dublin, uh, which actually discovered Francis Brennan at the time, way back when when he was Hi. building the uh, and he was just this really, really kind of eccentric character even back then. But we, anyway, um, so did work experience there. Used to do as well, T used to do racing at Punchestown, which is just up the road from me. So help out for the big Punchestown festival. Uh, then again, yeah, it was all just TV. I remember one Oxygen, I got a job with MTV when they were over doing the Oxygen Festival. It was with MTV and VH1. So it was always TV stuff. And then the journalism kind of came in when I, I had an English teacher in school, um, do you know the way in school when you, in English class, some people hate this stuff where basically you have to read a paragraph of whatever book you're doing or just read it out loud for the class? And I had a new English teacher uh, who worked in media, Maura O'Neill was her name as well. She used to present on RT and she, she wrote for some of the papers. And she said to me after one class, uh, would you ever consider getting into news reading the way I, I don't know, read the paragraph out loud? And that kind of stuck with me a bit. So that was where the kind of interest in journalism and media came in, but mainly it was TV before that.
1: Yeah, very good. And then did the uh,
2: did the college life reflect that interest then? What did you study? Where did you go? Didn't actually go to college. Well I, I went for oh, okay. well I went for two weeks. I went to Car so I, I did basically after Moore O'Neill said to me we should consider news reading, I our local radio station KFM, I sent them an email when I was in fifth year in school and said, I'm looking to get into radio and news and all that stuff. And Kira Plunka was the news editor there. She got me in every Friday afternoon uh, as kind of work experience because we finished at one. So go over there for two and read scripts and practice how to write and all that stuff. Uh, and then someone left the weekend job in KFM. So I got the weekend job. So when I was in sixth year, I was working in radio on a Saturday and Sunday reading the news. Anyway, CAO came around. I went for communications and PR in Carlo IT. Did, got the points for that, did two weeks there, and then it was a full-time job that came up from KFM. So I took it, which my parents were not happy about because I <laughs> yeah. promised i go to college. And then my big thing was to promise them, if I do take this job that I'll study at night, which never happens either. So no, I didn't have the normal. And it's funny now when you're meeting journalists, they all kind of uh, so we'll know each other from having been in college together. You know, you do your DCU or your, yeah. D- your Ballyfermit or whatever. Um, no, I didn't go down that route. So, well, I did two weeks in college, but that was it. So the more, yeah, you took
1: the more, more direct approach then,
2: for sure. Yeah, and like to be honest with you, journalism is kind of one of those last jobs where you can do a sort of apprenticeship with it. I mean, obviously, the college life do, does help and getting all the experience from the lecturers and lots of practice of writing, but journalism is one of those jobs where you can actually learn on the job about how to contact the guardi, how to do an interview, how to you know, get the best out of interviewees. So it's one of those ones... There's very few now who who don't go to college, but you definitely can uh, do it without going to college. Fantastic. Uh, Shane,
0: so you said you got the full time job in KFM um, and then eventually through your time, you got to be the host of a current affairs programme. So was your first job uh, doing current affairs
2: or did you progress to that later on? So the first job, so when I was in sixth year in school, I had the weekend reading the news, writing the news, uh, doing the death notices, all the stuff you do in local radio, doing that uh, in school. Then I got the first job was, uh, yeah, as a news reporter. Um, so that was covering, you know, your county council meetings, your town council meetings, and um, anything that was going on, protests from locals, you know, looking for shopping centers to be opened or not built or roads not to be built through their uh, towns. Uh, yes yeah, so that was the first job and then the second job after that was I got the job of producing the morning show that I presented then so that was kind of the main part after I did the news reporter for a year or two then I was producing that morning show then
0: fantastic and so during that time of course you were very young probably a lot younger than some of the people in the actual radio station what did you learn most from the people around there about the job
2: well, I mean, local radio is great. I mean, anyone who's looking to get into journalism of any kind, local radio really is the start. And not even just your, your local radio, but the likes of your community radio stations around the country. Because the great thing is that you can, you have to be professional. You absolutely have to be professional. And you can play the same level of professionalism through if you move on. But you can make mistakes. You're not going to get judged as, as strictly or as toughly as if you, you are in a national media organization so it's great for that so you learn from people a lot of people in local radio have been in local radio years which means that they really know their listenership and that's that's the big thing is getting to know the listenership know what people want because national radio is very very important and you know we're seeing today with the government talks a lot of what's being formed in government has been trashed out on the radio right now but local radio is very very important for people's lives and you know, I remember speaking to one woman uh, when I was doing the show and she said, you know, you're the first person I've spoken to in three days because for older people, local radio is, for some older people, particularly those by themselves, it is their uh, best friend. It's their, their, the only person they're interacting with every day. So you learn a lot about that from local radio. The, the CEO in KFM was Clem Ryan who presented the show that I was producing and he presents the show, The Morning Show Now. He had years of, working in CKR radio and working in RT sports. He was a big uh, GA commentator. So you absolutely learn an awful lot from those people. And it's about being professional because there sometimes can be a temptation. Look, it's only a, a local show or it's local news or anything like that, but it's incredibly important that you stay as professional as you would if you're doing you know, the RT news at one.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Well, in these times especially, radios have shown its importance even more than television. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but even like biggest, biggest story in the world for local radio is something like the snow. So the snow we would have had there a few years ago. And the advice from everybody would have been listen to your local radio station. You're finding out if your child's school is closed. You're finding out if that road that you normally go on every day, if you can drive on it or if it's safe to drive on it. You're finding out about all of that. So that's where radio and in particular local radio is hugely important because it's not just about having something on in the background to listen to while you're doing whatever suddenly then it becomes this is you know crucial crucial information uh for people's lives like the school stuff is uh, the, the phones absolutely hopping with when the snow will come is my local school closed principals ringing in biggest story in the world for people because you know people's lives are small and i don't mean that in a bad way but i mean You know, if it's going to affect you directly, something like bin charges. they are talking about bin charges being brought in. Way more interest in bin charges on a morning radio show than there was in the, you know, financial crash and the recession and all that stuff. Because This affects people, you know, am I going to have to pay a fortune to get my bins collected? Water charges, all that stuff is, it, it affects you in your direct household. And that's the same with, as you mentioned right now with COVID, that affects everyone's life. And that's where yeah, radio becomes hugely important. So, um,
1: going from KFM then up to I'd say the big leagues or like <laughs> national radio, anyways. Uh, what were the biggest differences, or maybe even did you have any teething problems going from
2: a local basis to a national basis? Um, I I spo- I had a bit of experience because what what I was doing when I was in KFM was I was also doing the uh, Tonight with Vincent Brown show, which was once mm. or. Two- a week it got to towards the end where I was on reviewing the papers with him on his show. And then I used to do the tweets. So, so when the tweets would come in during the show, you'd have a little section of the studio camera come to you and you'd say, so-and-so says this about that minister that was on or whatever and read those. So I had a bit of kind of, I was getting used to to the experience um, of doing national media from that. The biggest thing you see, like when you're a news reporter and it's funny, we always talk about this, that offices sometimes don't understand it when you're a reporter for national or local or whatever, it's just the practical stuff that you don't think of. Like, for example, if Leo Vracker is out at 10 in the morning, it's not, oh my God, what am I going to ask him when he's in front of me? It's actually the things like, where is he? How do you actually get to that specific building if it's in Dublin City Centre? Is there going to be traffic? Is there, is there pay parking on the street? Where am I going to file my story? You know, When you're out on the road, is there somewhere with Wi-Fi? Is there somewhere I can sit down and actually type my stories. So that was a big adjustment for me going from my nice sort of cushy radio studio, Monday to Friday it was grand, to suddenly you are out on the road, trying to file, trying to find parking and stuff. So that, that was it. It's a, it is a big adjustment. Like I was, I filled in a few times at the start when I first moved up for Ivan Yates. And it was just so strange to be, because in, in, when you're in local radio, it's yourself and, and your producer, if you're lucky, getting the guests for a show. You go on and fill in for Ivan Yates and there's, you know, a producer, there's a researcher, there's another producer, there's someone who does the sound, there's someone who controls your microphone, there's someone who rings the guests. So it's just, it's a big adjustment when there's more resources and a bigger sort of machine behind you. Yeah. I found that um, I did,
1: I like, have brought this up on the podcast so many times, but uh, before Christmas I did a bit of work experience with Matt Cooper in the last word. And obviously yeah. there's such a big team there. There's so many moving parts. I mean, There's like, I mean, I was only going in every Tuesday and I was given maybe, I I did a lot of um, the businesses with Eden Guider That was a a lot of what I was doing, but also different kind of pieces and well gathering information. But they had people like some of their research team were working on, let's say they were working on pieces for days or maybe even weeks at a time, all building to one like even five segment, five minute segment show on the thing and there's, there's so many moving parts that it yeah kind of yeah. it was hard to get your head around at the very start.
2: And yeah, totally. And and sometimes those shows like Ivan Yates and Matt Cooper, similar type shows, you, you could have a producer who's working on the show for Thursday when it's Monday and someone's doing monday show. So it's it's a big production. The one thing I kind of struggled with was when filling in for him, um these big meetings that you'd have because when you're trying to fill a show when you're the presenter and Laura Donnelly, who's come up with, to join me in news talk, and um, but she was my producer in in uh, KFM. Like we we, you wouldn't have time to have these big sort of philosophical conversations about whether or not you're going to get a guest. It'd just be look, is this relevant yet? Yeah, let's book them and we'll worry about it after. But it, it's going in for those big production meetings, which you have to do at national level to go in for a production meeting and go, what are we looking to get out of this? What angle are we going to go with? And it's just it's a lot more. Uh, thinking involved in it rather than sort of fly by the seat of your pants and go, right, we've two hours to fill here. Let's go with all these things. And sometimes you have to be careful too that you don't overproduce an item because you have to allow room for hearing what the guest says, asking them a question that follows up on that. So God love the producers out there and the teams out there. They can give you three or four pages of notes on a guest. And certainly for me, sometimes you wouldn't even look at them because you'd ask your first question. You get to the heart for them and keep on talking to them and you kind of feel bad then going, they literally spent so much time putting together all these notes, but you actually don't need them when, when guests play ball and they're, they're really, really good. Yeah. I um One
1: of the other things I was doing in there was Matt's culture club segment that he did every, that he does every Wednesday with, mm. the, with the guests. And, um, my job whenever, uh, I was given it was to, uh, Get we were sent all the answers of that guest to what their favorite podcast, their favorite movies, and all that. And my job was to take out short audio clips and give a little bit of background to the clips and a little bit of information about whatever shows or music or whatever. And literally, I would I would probably spend my almost my day taking out all these audio clips and all yeah. this kind of crap. And then probably twenty percent of the clip the clips themselves get used, and maybe one or two little like nuggets of information about yeah. the clips get used, and the rest
2: obviously just gets thrown in the bin. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, yeah, it is. And then also you could spend ages getting an item ready and then some sort of news happens and you don't even go to that person. And there's always that sort of awkward call you then have to make to the person going, look, sorry, I spent an hour of your time prepping you for this and asking you, you know, your mother's maiden name and then we now don't even get you on the show. So that's just, that's that's live radio and it's kind of, it it is frustrating. It's definitely frustrating though for people. And it must be tough for the producers and researchers out there because you put so much heart and soul into it. And then there's just times... Like, I've definitely had times where filling in on some of the shows that they say there's a guest coming up, like you're planning for the week for a guest and they're coming up and you're just not feeling it as a presenter. And it's always awkward then when you're going, I don't really understand why this person's on. I don't know what they have to contribute. I don't know the benefit of it. I'm not personally interested in this. And yeah, then you have to sit down and have the tough conversations. Go, we'll be bothered going ahead with this guest listen, you're not going to love every person you interview at all. And sometimes it's very big news and you can hate the person you're interviewing. Sometimes when they're booked, you just think, yeah, I don't know if I really want to interview them. There's not that much you can get out of it.
0: Just, you mentioned there, Shane, about working on Vincent Brown and you're talking about yourself there as a presenter and an interviewer. What did you learn from Vincent? Did you have many discussions with him behind the scenes on just the process or anything like Uh, that?
2: uh, Yeah, you would absolutely, yeah. He's... he's, um, like, Vincent's a pussycat in some ways, and he is what he is in other ways. So he's, he's he just, the way he can rip someone to shreds is incredible to watch. One thing I really learned from him, and I brought it to the show when I was doing it in KFN, was to sort of, I don't want to give away too many secrets here, but to lull people into a false sense of security, which, which you're not doing it intentionally, but you sort of make them feel comfortable in the interview. And then you go for the killer line, then you go for the the punch. And that comes with experience. It comes with watching someone like Vincent who just picks up on one word that someone says and he'll just sort of go, Well, that's absolute bullshit. I don't know what you're on about there. What are you talking about? There's this famous video of Vincent interviewing a Shannon hopeful and he um she says, you know, we need to step up to the plate. And Vince is like, Well, what plate? What are you talking about? What plate? <laughs> just getting rid of all the cliches and things and just I used to use this example when, when you get a guest on the show and they'd be talking about words that are really annoying, like, you know, policy framework and strategic vision and all this shite. And I used to say to them, like, this is like saying, I believe children are the future. Like, it's just meaningless. It really is meaningless. So you learn to be, definitely Vincent will teach you how to be uh, brave or more brave when interviewing a guest. And he gave an awful lot of Young journalists uh, their first chance their first start I mean like very rare that you 'd have a nighttime current affairs show that is someone from local radio on really regularly doing it that doesn 't normally happen you don 't see that on prime time you don 't see it on claire burn and Vincent is quite generous with the show will hand it over as much time as you need to do the the tweets and things and if you sort of meet him at his level and take him on and have the crack with him. Then it works very well. But that, you know, that was a huge learning curve. And also what that does, you're you're in the green room with all of these ministers or politicians. I might have interviewed them once or twice on the phone for the for the morning radio show, but getting to spend you know time with them, get to know them, which made that's what I was saying to you earlier on about it made the transition to news talk a bit easier because there are people I kind of dealt with through Vincent Brown's show, so it wasn't as difficult. Mm-hmm. Good.
1: Um so Shane. I'd like to talk about now um, the kind of current situation that we find ourselves in in the country and obviously in the world with the whole COVID-19. Um, I know maybe now we're three months into it, so the days might not be as crazier. It's getting a little bit more routine, but can you just describe for us what the days were looking like at the very start when it just seemed like the walls were tumbling down around us? Like, What was the average day in the life of a news reporter like at that stage?
2: Yeah, it's funny. Um, Richard Chambers, who works in Virgin Media, just sent me a picture that he found of um, the day Leo Varadkar was in Washington and he announced that the schools were going to close. Now we've had so many announcements, but you remember there was that big day. Schools and colleges were closed. I think libraries were closed, and there was a few steps before sort of lockdown. Uh, but Richard found this picture of there's a group. We're in government buildings, and there's a group of about twenty journalists all huddled around one mobile phone, and some photographers show pictures of us trying to hear Leo's speech to find out what was going on. And I just thought it captured perfectly. That's how crazy it was. So if you take, for example, that day, I was driving into work as normal. Don't know what story I was supposed to be on. And I got this call from work to say that they got a call from Washington, from Leo Radcliffe's people, which I think would have been probably at around five or six in the morning, Washington time, maybe. And they would phoned and they basically said to, to news Talk and to RT and to Virgin, there's gonna be an announcement in an hour or two. Uh, Leo Varadker, You need now they wouldn't say what the announcement was, but basically they were saying, we think you should take this live on your shows. So RT had to scramble together a show. I uh, think it was Pat Kenny's show, I think, or maybe Kira Kelly's, had to take it live. But none of us knew what the announcement was going to be. So that's how crazy it was. And then you sort of had this weird thing where the story kept changing with COVID every hour. So in my world, I, I have to send stories, fresh stories every two hours. So if I'm covering a nurse's strike, you do a story at nine, then 11, then one. And throughout the day, COVID was literally changing every hour. And what you had was then you could get noticed that Tony Holohan's going to hold a briefing at nine o'clock at night. Now you might have started at eight that morning and then you're working the whole way through. And it was that sort of crazy period until we got to a bit of routine. Um, and even, I don't know if you want to chat about the day of lockdown when Leo Varker announced it, but that was just the weirdest day that you'll ever work in your life.
0: Absolutely. yeah. Uh, absolutely. What
2: was the atmosphere like, really? So that, that, that was, uh, it was a Friday, I remember, and I had gotten used to going into the Department of Health for, for the briefings with Tony Houlihan and whoever was with him each day. So I was kind of, you do your bit of work at home and then you head up to Dublin and do your, your briefing. And for some reason on that Friday, I just had a feeling. And I remember I rang my boss. I just had a feeling. I was like, I think there's going to be an announcement. There was no evidence of any sort of announcement, nothing. And basically I rang her and I said, don't give me any work to do now. Let me get into Dublin first. So got in, parked on uh, Marion Street. And the guards were going to organise this briefing where they were kind of going to appeal to people. Look, weather's going to be nice this weekend. Please don't go to the parks and beaches and stuff. That was supposed to be about half for five. And then the guard suddenly, I think, cancelled the briefing. I was like, that sounds a bit strange. Anyway, we then got word that Leo Varadkar was going to address the nation that evening. Then Tony Olin was supposed to have his briefing, but then didn't have it. But it was just the weirdest thing. So you're brought to, if you see any of the announcements with Leo Varadkar recently or any of the ministers, there's a bunker in government buildings. So where you see your TV news reporters outside, you walk through that big courtyard and you're brought down to a bunker, which has now been Built as a press centre only because of COVID. This has been built as a a new style press centre with social distancing and did a whole crew working four or five in the morning. But anyway, we went in, his briefing was supposed to be at half eight where he was going to address the country. Um, And just before it, because do you remember there'd been that sort of week where we had an announcement on the Tuesday about more measures of lockdown, but they were all denying that we were going to go for lockdown. For well, lockdown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your man, there was this lad on WhatsApp pretending he worked in the army. Said, oh God, yeah. Code red is gonna happen Monday morning at 8am and all this stuff. So we started out a week of, no, we're not going for lockdown. There's no need to go for lockdown. And we were in at half eight waiting for Leo to come out. And the, the press officer woman said, you're getting a question. So they limit the questions. They said to Gavin Riley of Virgin Media for TV, uh, I think it was and Kenny of RT for Radio and TV. And for me, for radio, the three of us, you're getting the questions. And we're like, okay, Graham, but you don't know what you're going to ask because you don't know what's being announced. So you're told you will have a question, but you don't know. So I said to her, I said, is this like lockdown? Is this what's going to happen? She was like, no, I don't think so. Like they've had a chat. There will be some measures in it, but it's not going to be lockdown. And next thing, Leo walks out and literally announces this list of lockdown. And it's the only time ever I've seen, I remember doing a report the next day for The only time ever I've seen journalists in a room absolutely stunned. Because usually stories leak out. You kind of have an idea. We get word, Pascal Dunne, who's doing a briefing at three, like exchequer figures, you kind of know before you go in, yeah, the figures are shit or they're good or whatever. This was literally everyone expecting, right, they're going to announce, we need to do something a little bit more. Talk of of different sort of 20-kilometer zones or things like that. And then it was full-on lockdown and everyone was literally shaking. And we were brought into a room... And like some really senior journalists were there. And I remember asking them, did you expect any of this? Did you hear any rumours? And no one had heard nothing. So that showed how quick the story moved because clearly Tony Hulan had went into Leo and Simon Harris on that Friday and said, we need, they, won't, they don't use the word lockdown. They'll never use the word lockdown. But he clearly went in and said, we need to lock down this country and lock it down right now. It's one of those things. I remember Sean Defoe works in News Talk as our political correspondent. He texts me he was called in to do a show like at the last minute and he texts me and he said, I'm literally shaking. And I was like, you know, hand me a drink. Like we were just, it was that sort of, it's just the whole country was stopped, like. Right. And it was sort of felt end of days. I, I took a picture of the government buildings, the lovely lights. And I took a picture and tweeted saying, you know, leaving here tonight. And just, it did, did actually feel like the end of days. Like it was this apocalypse type scenario. It was really, really weird experience.
0: Absolutely. Um, Shane, and then in terms of just the, the months per, that came after, um, you know, being a current affairs journalist is obviously a hectic schedule. You don't know what's going to come. But in this kind of situation, it's obviously a lot more <laughs> hectic, but it's also a lot more grim. Every day you're dealing with new figures of death and tragedy within the country. Um, mm-hmm. How was that, dealing with all those in terms of your mental health and then just schedule as well?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a tough... I, um... It's funny. I always in my tweets about from the, the numbers of dead each day and the number of new cases. I always put in just one word, which is sadly. So I'll always say sadly. A further X amount of people have died. The amount of messages you get from people just that one word where they say thanks so much for showing some compassion. And I think I suppose I think it's fair to say some journalists in this have got carried away with the stats and the figures and percentages and that's a percentage increase and that's a percentage decrease which is obviously really important for following the trends but the public out there aren't seeing that what they're seeing is a coldness uh, among the reporting so they're seeing th- they don't care it's just about the figures and all that stuff so that's why I think one word every night just put in the word sadly um it has been yeah it's been di- the the it's been difficult the, the routine of it has been been good because you, you know where you're going every evening. This was when Tony Hulan had his briefings every night, so you knew where you were going and all of that. There's one particular day um, where Virgin Media News were live from the department. Zara King was on, and she was handed the sheet. And then they came into the room and handed it up to us. They walked by Zara and handed her the sheet. And it said on it at the top, uh, Today, a further 77 people have died. And Zara got a shock on air she says, I don't know if you saw it on air, but she said that she felt she got a shock on air and thought it was nearly a misprint. And they walked in and handed us the sheet and you saw 77 and everyone was like, is that a misprint? Should it be 17? Should it be seven? Is there two sevens in there? That was the one day that'll always stick out for me was the 77 because you just thought, this shit is real now. Like this is what we heard all the warnings about that you could have scores of people dying and hearing about it all in one day. And there were days when we'd have maybe three, 400 cases as well. And you're just thinking, we ain't going to get rid of this. There's no end in sight. That was the one day that I sort of thought after, my God, this is, this is, this is hard. Um, in terms of mental health and all, all of that, the only thing I would say is sometimes it's difficult, the backlash you get off people uh, for reporting it. And sometimes I just kind of feel like saying, do you know what? You're welcome to come in here every day and count up the number of dead people and the number of confirmed cases and the number of people in ICU. Like it's all, I got, I got angry with a few people. I was just like, I'm delighted for you sitting in your armchair at home, criticizing the reporting that's going on when we're trying to first of all, tally up the death numbers, reflect all of that in a responsible way, and then try and ask articulate questions of Tony Hulan and his team, who are public health officials, whether you like them or not, they are experts in their field. We are not. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a statistician. I'm not a public health doctor. So you're trying to ask articulate questions. You're trying to ask questions that the public want answered. And then you, you turn on your social media and it's, can't believe you asked that question. Will You leave Tony alone. Stop asking these stupid questions. And it's like, sometimes you're not asking the question for yourself. You're asking it for people. Like we get criticized for asking about when our haircut's going to resume. And yet that's what people talk about. When are weddings going to happen? Because there's couples contacting journalists the whole time going, listen, we're spending 20 grand on a wedding in September. Is it going to be a really, really grim wedding where I can't, you know, hug my drunk uncle at three in the morning? Is it going to be all social distance wedding? And people go, oh, I can't believe you're asking that. That's the only time you're a bit like, do you know what now, lads? Screw you there. It's very easy to sit at home criticizing everything that's going on. Come on in here and, and do it, you know, every day. But the, apart from that, no, the routine has been good from doing the briefings.
1: Great. Yeah, and do you think and do you think that like just being out there and being on the go all the time would is better for you than let's say, I mean, obviously Gavin is still working away. I'm I'm only back to work this coming Wednesday. Uh so I've been sitting at home largely doing nothing, twiddling to my tons and mm. I, like it has been bad for me. Um mentally and physically to be honest do you think it do you think it's better for you that you're you're out out on the go the whole time rather than having a moment to kind of breathe for yourself
2: yeah i think so. i think now it is um there was definitely a time where we were worried i suppose it was we were hearing all these warnings from from tony Holohan and and all these different people about limiting your contacts and cocooning and quarantining and staying at home and all that stuff and there were definitely conversations had with with us journalists who were in the Department of Health every evening. Are we risking our health uh, doing this? Because all, all the warnings we were saying to people was stay at home, please, please, please stay at home. And then we're walking into the Department of Health every night. We're in a room with 20 or 30 people. So at the start, it was a bit definitely conversations were had where we like, are we risking our own health? In covering this story because there has to come a point where you go like it's only a job at the end of the day it's an important job but listen you're not out you know saving lives or anything like that and are you risking your health by walking into the department of health where they're dealing with people with covid and going in every day so at the start i was definitely i would say um jealous of people at home and thinking you know they're getting paid the same and they're not going under the same risks and now i just know from so many people as you say at home every day And very difficult to sort of, you know, have your five a day fruit and veg and get your exercise in and try and stay mentally on top of things and keep busy and all of that stuff and even get a proper night's sleep. So I'm definitely not envious of people now because I I do think I would crack up. And like, even I'm off this week, as you're saying at the start, I'll probably by Tuesday or Wednesday just go, how do people um, do this every day? But, you know, I'm lucky, like if you, if your children at home, like people have gone through, it must be incredibly, incredibly difficult. Because you have to keep upbeat for them as well. And I don't know what you do if you'd load of teenagers at home because the natural thing is you want to spend as less time as possible with your parents, as less time as home as possible, and yet you're locked down with them and your annoying little brother or whatever. So it's been tough on a lot of people, definitely.
1: Hmm.
2: So, um, Shane, um, yeah, so
1: to... i go on, Colin. No, I was, I was going to end off the segment, so if you have another question, go for it.
0: Yeah, well, it's just in terms of you have these couple of days off, Shane. How are you relaxing? Uh, what's getting your mind off things? Any movies? Any music? Uh,
2: any movies? Any music? There was something I was watching recently. I'm going to sound like ancient now when I say this. He Like really, really ancient. But it is actually good, even watching it in an ironic way, which is the Gareth Brooks documentary on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that I sound like I'm from 1995 with lightning. My- but it is actually because first of all it's good because there's loads of stuff about ireland in it because as we know yeah. we're all cancelled but he's just that he has it's just really funny to watch because he is so dramatic in everything he says so he's literally on the verge of tears with everything he said and he just has all these sayings that his dad taught him and it's just real you know middle america he, he's out in you know Oklahoma and Tennessee and all these different places. That's what I've been watching the last two nights because it's an hour and a half long. I know you won't watch it at all, but that's definitely what I've been enjoying so far. Uh, I also watched Selling Sunset last week as well, which I enjoyed too. So, That's what I'm watching. I haven't watched any movies at the moment. They're my two so far. Very good. You're
1: never going to watch Garth Brooks. uh, He's on Netflix. He he wouldn't be... It okay. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless good. he won six, unless he won six NBA championships in eight years, <laughs> I don't think gonna watch. Garfield. That is. That um. is one
2: everyone's telling me to watch. That is one everyone's telling me to watch. Uh, that and uh, unorthodox is that the show as well? There's some show on. Yeah. Talking about two.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um. No, I was going to say just to put a nice little bow on the whole talking about the COVID thing and more positive spin on things is what are you looking forward to when normality does resume like when we do start to get back
2: to that kind of level what, what are the, some of the things you're going to look forward to like I mean you can say the sort of obvious thing about you know I'm trying to go on holidays again and stuff like that I was actually watching a video last night from Vegas and some of the casinos it looks a bit grim So, so you have All the staff in the casinos in Vegas have the masks on, they're temperature-checking people. It's not a, a pleasant experience. So I'm not dying to get on the plane. I think it's just being able to go to a pub on a Friday evening and see your friends, see people, and just be able to... Like, I know the pubs are going to open, and that's great, and all that stuff, and they're opening sooner than whatever, but it's not going to be the same experience as meeting some randomer, in a smoking area at two in the morning and they become your best friend. And you're like, oh, we're all buddies now. We all know each other and all that stuff. It feels like it's a long time. Hopefully it won't be a long time. That's really what I'm looking forward to. Getting to, like, things like hug your mother. Do You know, stuff like that. When you're not with your parents, it's just being able to, to see people, feel comfortable, not feel awkward. I've seen my parents once in... So COVID broke out. I, I, I hadn't seen them since the Royal Visit, which was March. So I've seen them once for like an hour since then. We've been able to actually just spend time with your folks, see friends, haven't seen most of my friends in that time as everyone else in the country, obviously. Just stuff like that. There's nothing major that I'm looking forward to doing. It would be nice to get away for a couple of days around the country maybe, but I won't be going on a plane. I don't care what Michael is doing, what Aer Lingus is doing, I won't be getting on a plane, I'd say, for about a year and a half, just for my own comfort level, because it just... We need to adjust to the new normal here. And also I think holidays abroad are going to be pretty grim where you're going to be going into hotels, get your temperature checked, no buffet breakfast in the morning, um, no, you know, sitting in a packed pub over there. It's going to be messy for a while. So just the little things would be nice to do first.
1: I saw, um, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, uh, Vilnius, which I think is the capital of Lithuania, um because like because every country really is in lockdown because lithuania is in lockdown and people can't go on holidays they brought in this new thing where every weekend they're gonna put on these like markets and stuff and it's going to be like different cultures every weekend so they're going to be bringing the holiday to the people of the city so to make up for the lack of being able to go abroad which i saw and thought was a really yeah. good idea, you never, is, you never yeah. get
2: that in fucking Ireland. But, no, no it's, it's, it's a good idea, but I think we're going to appreciate Ireland. See, the problem is that uh, during lockdown, the weather was so nice as well. Like if this had happened mm. last year on a rainy Tuesday in January, everyone would have cracked up even more. The weather was kind of good, like I, I say this, some people, like I know everyone says lockdown was tough and all of that. Some people have actually enjoyed it because they've got off the rat race of commuting every morning, working crazy days. They're at home, they're having barbecues early evening. People on Instagram are having, you know, a glass of wine in the sun at four in the afternoon. So if we had this weather, I'd absolutely be saying, look, I am not dying to go abroad on my holidays here. If you knew good weather and, and nice places to go. So yeah, you could become more like that or maybe even that you get to appreciate Dublin a little bit more because like you see tourists coming to Dublin City and they're having a great time and when you're in Dublin a lot or just when you're Irish you probably don't appreciate what a nice city it is same with Cork all the city Galway I mean apart from going on the piss there in Galway there's an awful lot to do and sometimes you don't get to do that the same with Kilkenny City maybe people think oh yeah I was at a stag there and it was great actually getting to go on your holidays to Kilkenny for a week would be lovely if the weather's good I'm Like, I was even thinking airport security the other day. It's already shit, as in when you're taking off your shoes, you're in the BQs, putting everything through the scanners. It's going to have to be 10 times worse with social distancing, probably doing temperature checks, all that stuff, that it's just not going to make going abroad fun at all. Like, there's going to be no point. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean us like our own friends, I'd say by the time this episode goes up we're will be back home from it already, but our our group of friends were heading up to Donegal for for a short while just to yeah. enjoy ourselves and just enjoy each other's company again and like we we have it on good authority from the, the girl who we're going up to in Donegal that the views are just absolutely amazing out there. So I'm, yeah. I'm very much, very much looking forward to that.
2: Yeah. And what are you guys thinking about college as in like, cause there's all this talk about school and stuff. What do you think for colleges it's going to be?
1: Well,
0: me uh, and Colin were both like in online. the same year. Okay. So uh, we were in our last year and uh, basically Look, lockdown happened in March, and uh, I had a thesis to do, and look, we both had other assignments and all that stuff to do. So, look, being at home, it was easier to do work, in, in, for me anyway, but okay. uh, it, it was all online, and I think me and Colin are both going to do Masters now because, look, the economy might still be in very bad shape come September and October, yeah. or whenever we're back. But um, I think it's going to be a hybrid system in terms of yeah. just, like come in for seminars and labs, if you're a science student, but it's mostly going to be online. Yeah,
2: which is, it goes against everything. College, like college is the absolute opposite of like social distancing, the, the idea being that you go mix with new people the whole time in these big lecture halls, then you're out in the pubs at night, you're going to houses for food and drinking and all that stuff. Like, I don't know if I was in my leave, doing my leave insert. I think I'd be trying to defer, if at all possible, I'd be trying yeah. to defer until they sort it out, because I just think this term now from September is going to be very... Mess people to try to sort it out yeah i mean grand student at home a lot of parents will go that's deadly like we don't have to pay a fortune for college accommodation for the kids or whatever but it just goes against everything college is about i mean it's about having freedom yeah. as well as as progress in your studies or whatever But like, you can't really do that now it's actually more right. restrictive than secondary school yeah, like, how are you supposed to get the ride if you're social distancing, like, in fairness? You really, well, through a wall, apparently, it's on the New York Times. And <laughs> um, they're, they're saying that there's way, ways and means of still doing it, but through, wall, it's, yeah, it's all, it's all grim. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I I don't think I'm going to take my chances with, um, with getting <laughs> to know a wall that well. No. <laughs> um,
2: and Tony won't answer you. the question. This is the thing Tony, we're trying the whole time to ask him. And he just, he's talking about intimacy, things, and but he won't answer the question of, what are people like? It's not even single people going out, slipping it about, it's about couples who haven't seen each other in months. Yeah, absolutely. Trouble. What do you actually do? What, what are they supposed to do? Right, these are the pressing questions, Shane. And I, I it trust, is, we'll, like, we'll, I we'll ask, him. Him. Yes. <laughs> I trust
1: you, you to be the man who gets the answers for We'll it. try, um,
2: we'll try, ask him. He might be <laughs> better moved next week for it. Yeah,
1: Gav, do you have any final questions to wrap up
2: there?
0: Um, I suppose Shane look you're pretty young for a broadcast journalist Um, any goals for the future are you goal oriented or do you just kind of take each couple of months No I'm
2: really not I'm really not it's terrible because I did a a work review thing the other week and I was asked what's your five year plan I was like I don't even have a (laughs) like I mean I I, I, the reporting is a great break from presenting a show for five years or whatever I think ultimately I'd like to go back presenting a show a lot more precarious work-wise to be presenting a show because most of those presenters are on contracts, rolling contracts where they can let you go at any time. It is nice to have the comfort of this is your job, you have a salary, the money comes in every month. But yeah, ultimately, I'd like to to, um, get back presenting. Reporting is good, but it's a lot of energy. Like I see some reporters there in their their late 50s, early 60s, and I'm exhausted doing it a lot of the time. I don't know how they're doing it because it's a lot of work and running about the place and stuff. So I think, yeah, ultimately... I'd probably like to get back into um, presenting, but it's difficult. Presenting's changing now. So if you look at the likes of your Ivan Yates as an example in News Talk, or or Kira Kelly, or those people, they they have another life before media. So it's not like you're trained presenter like Marion Finucane was or Sean Work, where you're in it years as a journalist and as a reporter. The way presenting's changing now, you kind of have to be someone well known in another area to then get into presenting. That's the way it's gone, unfortunately. Look at Greg O'Shea on Two FM does, you know, what a month on an island, and suddenly <clears throat> a morning breakfast show that DJs spent years trying to get. That's yeah, the way I have a lot of it, you know. I, I, I and a, a good few of my friends have a lot of opinions on on him getting that that job while O'McGinnes well, yeah, was was you, away. Yeah. You're not the only one, and there's people working a long time in radio. Uh, who were pretty pissed off by that because it's just and I'm sure he's a lovely chap and he probably I didn't hear any of it but I'm sure he was great doing it and all that stuff but you just think for people to be encouraged (laughs) for people to be encouraged to get into media and to have this I mean diversity in media which is what we're all talking about at the moment Mm -hmm. how on earth are you going to have that when you have someone who was on one reality show and he's not the only one 2fm jennifer zamparelli did did the apprentice and then that's how she got on 2fm there's loads of different examples on irish radio and tv where you do a reality show and suddenly then you're a presenter unfortunately that's the way it is um and that doesn't make it easy for like i remember i did the general election there in february and we had um really great students from Griffith College who volunteered to give a dig out on election day. Right around the country, they, they were sent to hotels and stayed in Kerry and Cork and all these places. But I had five students, uh, great diversity, five students there who were actually really interested in it. And I remember actually thinking, look, it'd be great to see these now in media, in, working in newsrooms, but you just don't see it at the moment. And it is a kind of worry for the future. Are they going to get people of colour, are they going to get, you know, more female? Like, I'm not even talking here about, we're not even at the stage of of talking about ethnicity. You're talking about women. Like, there's some nights at the Department of Health briefings where not one female journalist is in the room. And and, and we want to promote diversity. We're still behind on women. We're still obviously behind on minorities. How many traveller journalists do you know? How many trans people are in the media? who aren't, they're just not given a voice at all. Um, so we've a long way to go on that. And then you have reality stars who, who go in and get a primetime show.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, just what you're, I what you're saying there, Shane, like, you know, there was traditional media in the past and like News Talk and RT, are part of that. But now we have podcasting and new independent forms of people being able to speak their voice. Do you think that's the area where people of trans or people of ethnicity can get their chances for moving on?
2: Yeah, it it is. I still think Ireland is such a small country that you're always going to have your traditional media. So it's not as if we're saying here that, right, if you get a podcast now and and you're someone from a different background to what we normally see on Irish television and Irish media, it's a very good idea to cut your teeth and all of that, but in order to sort of, maybe you're quite happy doing the podcast and, and that's it. But if, if you're thinking, I want a long-term salaried job in media in Ireland, it is probably still going to be the traditional route. RT has gone through a lot of financial problems. I still think the sky could fall in and RT will be there. Um, the sky could fall in and there will still be your independent media, like your local radio stations and like Talk. Um, the Irish Times, I think, is still going to be there. The Irish Independent is still going to be there. And they're the type of places that we do need to see them. Podcasts are great forum. And you know what? There was, um, someone was on the TV recently and they were talking about a TED Talk that they'd watched. I can't remember who it was now. It's really bad when you start quoting people you don't know. But anyway, essentially it was saying the cavalry isn't coming. So if you're waiting for the cavalry, it isn't coming. So you don't sort of sit around and wait for someone to go and give you that big job and give you your chance and all that stuff. You're going to have to create your own opportunities, unfortunately. And I, it, it's, it's a sort of, it's a, a unconscious bias thing as in, I don't believe that there's an there's editors out there saying we can't hire her because she's black. We can't hire them because they're trans. That's That's not what it is. It's just that they're not seeing it and maybe not aware of the bias there. Um, and as I say, we're so, far beyond, we're so far behind in diversity that we're not even talking about having 50-50 in terms of female journalists or travellers, and then even talking about people of different ethnic backgrounds, which is what Ireland's made up of. I mean, you look in Leinster House there at all the TDs, they don't look like when you walk down your street. You know, you watch a, a, a TV show on Irish television, That doesn't look like what you're seeing in your street. And it's just not getting across. And then you don't want to become the token person either. So that's the other thing, because then editors might go, well, we have that guy there who's black. That's grand. We're done. Why don't you have five of them? Do you know what I mean? So that is tough. And there's great students out there. I'm sure you guys know from your course. I assume that there's diversity in your course, I presume. And I presume they're worried. Are, Are we going to get jobs out of this?
0: That, yeah, yeah. It, it seems kind of like a generational thing that, you know, our generation, of course, is, is wanting to get these opportunities and there is a lot more diversity. But I think previous generations, it was kind of, the way Ireland has changed as a country as well has a bit to do with it, that we're mm-hmm. a lot more multicultural than we used to be. Um, so I think what you're saying about unconscious bias, yeah, I kind of agree with in terms yeah. of, it wasn't like that when the people that you're speaking of were working themselves. And it's something that they have to get used to and change to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we have some examples uh, of it. I'm not going to mention them because I don't want it to seem like they're the token person, but I'm just saying, that there are examples of people from a variety of different backgrounds who are, can be quite successful, are quite successful, the same as everybody else. And that's not to say that you have to be extraordinary just because of your background. You can be just like every other worker, but it's just getting those opportunities. And yeah, hopefully it'll change. I just, I, I worry that it becomes a tokenistic thing that, that, We're seeing, obviously, all of the the, uh, uprising when it comes to Black Lives Matter um, and all of the the stuff people are talking about online, hey, this is a turning point, I suppose. And it's not for me to say, it's not my worry personally. It doesn't affect me in that sense, but I just worry that it becomes tokenistic, that then you might have newsrooms go, there now, there's our black girl or there's our trans person or there's our, our person from a traveling background. And we don't need to do any more on it. That it needs to become way, way, way more inclusive. And that starts everywhere. It starts in with TDs and then it starts in schools, you know, with, with teachers even. Like seeing if, I, I imagine, I don't know because I don't have the experience, but I imagine if you are a, a young black girl and imagine going into primary school and your teacher is black and then you go, okay, well, she's just like me. This is Ireland. These are the people I see. That's the level it's going to start at. There ain't that much diversity in teaching either, which is the first experience children have of that and kind of seeing what you can achieve and going the whole way through. Watching GAA, seeing, you know, th- that's why we all know the, the names are household names of some of these people who are slightly different to what you think is the white Ireland. They become household names. Obviously, they're very talented, but also it's, oh, that's the person who is of that particular background. But because they're not seeing any more diversity, it's just you're one person. So they're the token black player or Asian player or whatever. Mm. That all needs to change. Mm.
1: Honestly, Shane, I think I could, I, I could listen to you talk for maybe two or three hours and I hope I hope you do. I love end up you. Get your own <laughs> show because I'll be, <laughs> I'll be tuning in. But uh, I don't think we'll take up any more of your time. Um, it's been fantastic having you on.
2: Thank you so much for, for accepting the invitation. No problem. Good good chat and fair play to you for the podcast because it's something there's a few of us now way behind on doing podcasts and getting into it. We started a COVID podcast recently in Work and News Talk, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do. So, yeah. fair play to you for doing it. I presume it keeps you busy then during lockdown as well, or has been.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's
2: it, Yeah, it's definitely been something to keep us going, anyways. And if you need any yeah.
1: tips, I'll send you on our quote. Come on. Fair <laughs> play. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> lads. Uh, <laughs> this has been In Conversation with Shane Beatty. Thanks a million for listening and we'll see you next time.